0: Well, we've been going through this series uh, called Stories of Old and it is a series where we are talking about these great men in the Old Testament. Really, we're just trying to tell their stories and we're doing men and women who were listed in Hebrews 11, a chapter in the Bible that discusses faith and what faith looks like and, and who really represents faith in the Old Testament. We're taking those men and we're telling their stories and uh, whether you've been around or not, uh, you probably know this feeling. Like, well, well that's great, but I, I don't know if I can get there. And, and pretty much every sermon I've said the same thing and it's this. These guys weren't perfect. They had problems and issues and sins and all of that kind of thing, but yet they still were able to believe God when God talked and and because of that, God used them mightily. But maybe still you're like that. That's great, but we're, you know, I I I feel like I can't get there. I mean, sure God says things, and I want to believe them. But Chad, you're missing like a giant step. I mean, I agree that I like Moses is am a sinner, and I have failures and all those things. And I agree that if I would just believe God and, and just listen to what He said, then sure God would use me for greater things. But where's that step in between? How do I get to a point where I just blindly believe God, where I just say, yeah, God, I have faith that you're going to do what you say and that doing what you say is always the right thing to do. How do I get there? And and today, I think in the story of, of Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho, you probably know the story a little because every choir does the song. It isn't just like he shows up at this city and then the walls come tumbling down. There's actually this great backstory, and there's this person named Joshua. And when you look at his life, which we'll do here briefly, you begin to see why Joshua was able to just listen to God and say, Well, God said to walk around the wall, and, and so I'm going to do it. And so when we go back in time before that faithful event that became one of the most famous choir songs that there is, we see at the very earliest point of Joshua's life that's recorded for us in the Bible, that Joshua was a warrior. Listen to this, Exodus seventeen eight through 13. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to jo- Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand up on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained remained steady till sunset. So, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is a pretty famous story if you've grown up in the church, if you've been to Sunday school. Uh, it, it's not one that transfers outside of the church very often. But but Moses is up on this giant hill, and as long as his arms are up, if you're paying attention, with his staff in his hand, then, then the Israelites, the good guys, his team, they win this battle. But when his arms start to to go down. And the Amalekites, the bad guys, they started to win. And that's the part of the story that we remember. But sometimes, I totally forgot this before studying for this sermon, to be honest, we forget that there was a young man named Joshua down there fighting. And it's really fascinating to me that even though Moses is the guy who had to hold his hands up, the Bible seems to credit Joshua. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I mean, we know that it was God who did it. But here we see that Joshua, more than Moses, gets the credit. He was a warrior. The next thing we see about him... Is that Joshua becomes Moses' aide? Exodus 24:13 says, "Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God." So picture this: just here's Joshua. He's hanging out. He's a warrior, and and he becomes Moses' aide, and they're hanging out in the wilderness after the Exodus story, where they become free from from Egypt and and the tyranny that they were expressing there. And then God shows up in fire on a mountain, and so this, this mountain's on fire, and the people are scared to death, and They say, hey, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to deal with this because we might die. And Moses says, okay, hey, Joshua, my aide, let's go. And so Joshua now, when we read this verse, this is no little deal. I mean, he is literally walking up a mountain that's flaming because God's presence is there so strongly. And if you know the story, Moses goes up there and he spends 40 days up there. I mean, think about Joshua the aide here just hanging out in the presence of God. There he receives the Ten Commandments, and so we see that that uh, that Joshua is Moses' aide, and then and this is so key to everything I'm going to say today about Joshua. And if you don't have children already, if you're one of the people who are about to have a baby, uh, one of the million, um, then you're going to you're going to be like, I need to change my kid's name to Joshua because he's just so awesome. Exodus 30. That's my goal for this sermon: is that we'll have a whole generation of Joshuas come out of this this church right here. Uh, Exodus 33:11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I mean, Moses would go, and he'd be in the presence of God in in, in the tabernacle, this tent that was built to kind of house the presence of God on earth, to where God would show up, and Moses would leave glowing. And that's really great. We know that Moses went there if we've kind of read the Old Testament. But we might forget that when Moses was headed back to town, Joshua loved the presence of God so much that he actually didn't leave with Moses. It's a big deal. And so as an aide, he's experiencing God's presence in just awesome ways. Probably the second most thing Joshua was famous for is is being a spy. In Numbers 14, 5 through 9, we read this, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give us. Give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And so if you kind of know the story, Moses had sent 12 guys to go explore the land that God had promised. Ten of them had come out and said, we can't do it. They're big. They're really big. And sure, they have awesome grapes there and figs. And But we can uh, I would love to eat some of that stuff. But those guys are too big. We can't do it. And two guys, Joshua and Caleb, they say, no, we can do it because God is with us. And what God does, to make a long story short, he says, none of you can actually enter into the promised land now in this whole generation except for two guys. And they are Joshua and Caleb because they believed. They believed that I could accomplish what I've said I would accomplish and then we see Joshua as the leader of the Israelite people and that's really when we pick up on this story Uh, but Moses is about to die and God looks down and he says, hey, I've noticed the spirit of leadership on your aid Joshua, that warrior and that spy. And then in Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 7, this is what we read as Moses is near death. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with the people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. So the first time we read the words "be strong and courageous," but it won't be the last time you see those words in this story that I'm going to tell you. De- Deuteronomy 31:23 says, "The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun: Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself." will be with you. And so we see this this kind of person that Joshua is. I mean, he's a warrior, he's an aide, he's a spy, and now he's about to become the leader of the people of Israel. And this is really where the book of Joshua, the book that's named after him in the Bible, begins, and we see that Moses dies and Joshua takes over. And you can read that in chapter one, but basically he says to Joshua, hey, I need you to be ready because the time is coming that we're going to go into this land that I have promised to the Israelite people. So get everybody ready because we're going. And Joshua gets everybody ready. He looks at a couple of tribes, three tribes to be exact, and says, hey, I know that you're not going to possess this land because you already received some land, but you need to fight with us. And and you can read all that in chapter 1, but here's the important part. Listen to these four verses. Joshua 1, 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Joshua 1 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law of my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua 1 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1 8. Only be strong and courageous. The call of Joshua's life by God is simply to be strong and courageous and to serve him. And the big question when you close chapter 1, if you really don't know the story and, and you're just kind of sitting back and you're thinking about it, the big question is simply, will Joshua be strong and courageous? And then in chapter 2, it's the story we told last week, so I won't tell it uh, in length again today. You can go back and you can listen to all these sermons at creeksidebiblechurch.org backslash stories of old if you missed any of them. But it's the story of Rahab and and she was a, a woman who was a, a Gentile prostitute and some spies came into the land. Joshua sent them and, and they stayed at her house and she saves their lives. Long story short. And, and so go back and listen to that. It's one of the best stories in all of the Bible, but this is what we need to know in chapter 3. Early the next morning, the Israelite people get up, they leave Shittim, where they were staying, and after camping three days on the banks of the Jordan River, they send officers among the people. This is a big moment. And they say, hey, get ready, because we are going to cross over the Jordan River soon. Maybe you don't have the background information here, but just, this is the thing. They've literally been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years, I mean, think about, that's a long time, right? I mean, if I told you, hey, I got a deal for you, I'm going to give you a super nice house, but you got to go camping for 40 years. So good luck, you know, I'll be with you, um, but you you got to camp for 40 years, and then you get a sweet house. You'd be like, I'll take my current house, right? But in 39 years and... And almost to the end of that year, when I came up to you and said, hey, tomorrow's the day, you'd be like, this is awesome. This is the day that I've been waiting for. I mean, think about your kids who are now 39 years old and they're like, sweet, I've been camping my whole life, but I hear there's grapes on the other side of that river. And I've been waiting for this day when we can cross it and it's going to be totally awesome. This is a big deal. And so these, these commanders are going through, and they're not saying something to people like, okay, we're going to cross the river tomorrow, whatever. This is like, hey, tomorrow's the day. And I'm sure that they are excited, they're celebrating, and, and they have one instruction. They say to the people, they say, hey, the Ark of the Covenant will go ahead of you but you don't know the way because you've never been to this land you need to stay 3,000 feet behind it thats uh, they don't actually say feet but in our terminology 3,000 feet behind it so that you can see where it is going first now the Ark of the Covenant is, is something that you, you probably should understand for this passage of scripture for this story it contained the Ten Commandments it's a big box that hopefully you're seeing above my head right now and it contained the Ten Commandments in it and, and it also, even more importantly is, is that it was is the place of God's revealed presence on the earth? And so, we can't even think like this, but for the Jewish people who had the tent, the tabernacle, and eventually the temple, they are a people that understood that God could show himself in special and unique ways in, in certain areas. And God chose to, for a time, reveal his presence in a very powerful and unique way within the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments and some other artifacts were were it, it was in fact uh, this is how it 's described in, in the Jewish encyclopedia the ark was the manifestation of god 's physical presence on the earth. In 2nd Kings when they build the temple, Solomon builds the temple and and he's dedicating the temple and they're kind of having like their grand opening ceremony. As soon as the ark is placed into the temple, all of a sudden God's presence becomes so strong and so powerful in the form of a cloud that the the priests can't see to do their job anymore. And so, when they say, hey, the ark's going to go ahead of you, make sure it's 3,000 feet. what, What really they're saying is God is going to go ahead of you, so make sure that you stay behind him so that you know the way. The Lord says to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. After this, Joshua goes around to the people and he says, this is how you will know. What's about to take place, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. And so what they do is he says, hey, priests, you need to walk out into the river and when you walk out into the river, God is going to stop the Jordan River from flowing. So the priests, they walk out into the Jordan River and lo and behold, the river literally stops flowing. And it even gives the city's name in Joshua chapter 4 three, one of those, uh, that, that the river stops flowing at. And this was during flood season. And so the ark goes out to the middle. The priests are holding it. And by the way, if you touch the ark, you die. That's how strong God's presence was in that place. So they're holding it by the handles. They're standing out in the middle. And all the people walk by on dry ground. Now, for a lot of these people... They had heard the story about the Red Sea, right? And they had maybe been children when the Red Sea parted. Another famous story. And so here they are almost duplicating that moment. This is a really big deal. And all 100,000 of them or whatever cross on dry ground. Joshua looks at the leaders of the tribes. Israel was broken up into tribes. He says, hey guys, choose 12 of of your men. And what you need to do is you need to have them go back into the river. And you need, while the river's still dry, and you need to have them grab giant stones, as big as they can pick up, I'm sure, because we are going to build a memorial to God. And something the Israelites did is, is they would get rocks, and they would put rocks together and say, this is to remind us of the day that God did whatever. And here, it's a reminder that God had separated the waters of the Jordan River in a similar way to what he had done at the Red Sea Chapter 5, as you're going through this story and you're looking at kind of what leads up to the walls come tumbling down, uh, what you see is that there's three major events. One major event is that Joshua circumcises all the men. That's a bad day for the israelite men right uh and so what had happened is that circumcision that's a big deal it's their sign of the covenant with god for the israelites And, and and so uh the people who had been born in the wilderness for whatever reason had not been circumcised and so joshua says hey guys good news today's the day i'm gonna circumcise you if you don't know what circumcision is i would look on wikipedia i'm not going to explain that to you but i would not google it um Second thing that happens is that the bread that had been coming down from heaven uh, stops coming down. It was called manna, and God had provided for 40 years in the desert this manna, this sweet kind of cracker thing. It had come down miraculously every single morning so that the Jewish people had enough to eat. And it stops, and this has got to be a great moment. I mean... Have you ever just like had something in your fridge and you keep eating it? Maybe after Thanksgiving and you've had turkey for like two weeks and you're just, and then you make something else and it tastes so good because of something else? Picture 40 years of anything, even if you like it. I mean, turkey. I mean, for me, like, a taco for 40 years even. Like, I'm done. That's it. That's my limit. I, I could have done 35, but I can't afford it. And it stops, and the people eat the fruit of the land. And I tell you that because, you know, for us, it's like, okay, so they changed food, whatever. But that's like a big deal for these people. And the other uh, really important thing that happens here is that Joshua goes near to Jericho, and he looks up, and he sees a guy, and he says, hey, are you for us or are you against us? And the guy says, no. It's really, in some translations, that's what it says no. And then he says this, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come to you. So Joshua says, what message do you have for me? And the guy says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then in Joshua chapter six, we arrive at, at really the main kind of thrust of this part of Joshua's life. Joshua fights the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. And and here's what it says, because maybe you don't know the story or maybe you don't remember the details. But Joshua 6, 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests. Carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. When the priest, blows, priest blow, with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up with everyone in sight. The moment of truth here. Uh, and and if you go back to chapter 1, and you see the four statements. Be strong and courageous. A- and when you come to chapter 6, here's the moment. I mean, hey, Joshua, I want you to... You guys, this is your plan. This is how you're going to defeat Jericho, this pretty powerful city. I want you to walk around it six times for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. I want you to blow a horn, and I want everybody to yell. And you got to ask. I mean, if you're just... If you're thinking, and I'm sure Joshua was asking it: Am I really strong enough? Am I really courageous enough to do what God has asked me to do? Because it seems illogical, it seems stupid, if we can say that, it is not a good plan of attack. Joshua, remember, was a spy and a warrior, and I'm sure he's thinking, I might be able to come up with a, a better plan. I might be able to come up with something else. I mean, maybe we could shoot a cannon at the wall or something if they were invented. But, you know, he could have come up with a better plan. And here's what we read. This is just so key. This is what we read, Joshua 6, 8 through 11. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets. They did exactly what God had told them to do. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Then the armed guards marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until I tell you to. Shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the ark of the Lord returned to the camp and spent the night there. And they do this for six days. And Joshua 5, 6, and 16, On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpet sounded and the people shouted, the wall came a-tumbling down. All except, and archaeology seems to prove this, one section of the wall that we can surmise was that of Rahab's house, who had been promised that her people would not be destroyed, her family. The walls come down, the people just take over the city, they kill all who were there, and they win the battle totally and utterly. And my question, I mean, that's cool, that's great, but my question is how did Joshua come to a place where he knew God well enough to know that God was saying to him, hey, this is what I want you to do, and to actually have faith to do it. I mean, sure, we all, like, yes, it's cool and it's awesome that God would just make the walls come down at the sound of a trumpet. Uh, some some people out there that aren't Christians would love to explain this away, like there was a crack in the wall, a oh, lay ready, and the shout made it so that the wall crumbled because of the noise vibrations. This is a real thing that people do. But we can just admit, right? I mean, if... We can just admit, this is miraculous. I mean, uh, I I would rather people just say, I don't believe it actually happened, but archaeology doesn't really allow for that in this story. And so let's just say, this is miraculous. But the question that I want to know, and that I think you probably want to know, is is how did Joshua get to this point? I mean, Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. I mean, sure, that's great. But why did they have the faith To march around the wall for seven days. I mean, where did it come from? for you and I, just very personally, I mean, it, we're, we're talking a lot about like doing what God wants you to do and making a great impact for God. And and so there's this question, like, yes, I would like to believe God and just do what He says. And you've made it very clear now, if you've been through these messages, I've made it very clear now that, that faith is not this metaphysical, kind of overly spiritual thing. It's simply saying, God said it. I believe it. That's good enough right there. I'll end it there. And, and, and so how do I get to that point? Because if I'm Joshua... The conversation sounds a lot more like this. God says, hey, here's the plan. You're going to march around the wall and blow the trumpet. And I say, I'm not sure if that's God. You know, it doesn't sound like God. It seems a little illogical. Isn't God logical according to my standard? I mean, okay, we'll march around it, but we're going to, we're going to also kick the wall. You know, I mean, we're going to, we're going to try to climb the wall while we're marching around. We're going to come up with like another plan because this can't really be the voice of God. Maybe all of you are there. and Maybe as we're going through the series, you've been thinking, like, I kind of know what God wants me to do, but I can explain it away, or it doesn't really make sense. I mean, God, you know that I have kids, or God, you know that we don't have the money for that right now, or God, you know that that there's somebody else who might be able to do that better, and, and you're making these excuses. And why doesn't Joshua make these excuses? There's two things that I think allow him to hear from God in a clear enough way and to actually do what God says, even though it seems like a dumb idea. Joshua 11.15 says this, As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all the Lord had commanded Moses. One of the clear things in this story is that Joshua zealously did what God commanded him to do. You read it over and over. If Joshua is told to totally wipe out a people group, then Joshua does it. If Joshua is told to march across a river, then Joshua does it. If Joshua is told to get away and spend time in prayer, then he probably did it. We see that Joshua zealously does whatever God asks him to do. Joshua 11:23 23 also makes it clear. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from Throughout Joshua's whole life, one of the most common themes is that Joshua does whatever God asks. And I think we get stuck and we make excuses and say, maybe God's not really saying that or I don't know if I can really do it or I'm not sure I want to do it because we haven't learned to do what God asks us to do. In everyday life, in the small stuff. And so we come to a fork in the road and we say, well, God's asking me to be a missionary. Because that's all of your worst nightmares here. So we'll just use that for an example. God's asking me to go overseas and be a missionary. And and, and I don't think I can really do it. I mean, because man, i got all these excuses and all these reasons. And really, would God tell me to do that? Because I don't speak another language. And I'm not really good with people. And I, I just can't do it. But here's my guess about you if you're at that place and maybe it's not being a missionary. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's smaller. Maybe it's just something that you know you're supposed to do. And here's what I would guess about you. You haven't learned to listen to God in everything else. Probably if right now you're at a point and you're saying, well, God wants me to do this big thing but I really, I'm really, i just going to be disobedient to that or I'm going to try to ignore it or suppress it or get rid of it or not think about it or whatever it might be. Probably, if you looked at your life every day, you're not really listening to the things God has asked you to do. I mean, you're not like trying to remove sin in your life. You know that you shouldn't be doing it. You know God has told you not to do something and you're like, whatever God, I'm not. It doesn't matter. Or, you know, you, you just little things like you know that you should be nice when you're at the coffee shop and they make your drink wrong and you fly off the handle and you're rude and you're known as the rude guy uh, because you just don't care to listen to what God has told you to do. Or, you know, uh, you just you know that God has told you in those moments, maybe, if, if you've ever been there where, where God says, like, go up and talk to that person. Maybe just buy him a cup of coffee or or feed a homeless person or whatever it might be. and, And you're just like, yeah, I could or I could, you know go beyond time to this other meeting that I have right now. And, and, and so I think that here's my guess. If you're at a point where you're like, I would love to just believe God and do what he asks, then here's my guess for you. Probably every day you're not waking up and saying, I'm just going to do my best to do whatever God asks me to do. I'm going to zealously serve God, be obedient to whatever God commands of me. Even in the littlest, minute, teeny, tiny details of life that you say, I could buy that guy a cup of coffee or not. It's not going to change the world. But truthfully, it's slowly over time changing you as you learn to not listen and be obedient to God. And so Joshua, in his whole life, whatever you see God ask Joshua to do, Joshua does it. It's not an argument not a lot of talking about it. We don't see like a lot of people where, I mean, he doesn't seem in the story uh, to to, like go away and spend time asking God. There's no burning bushes for Joshua and his kind of life story. It was a burning mountain, but it was when he was really young. And so we don't see like some of these signs that maybe he would like to see, but God asks him and he does it. And here's the other part. And this, this part is, this is so key. This is just, it drives the whole story. And you probably missed it. I was trying to emphasize it with my voice a little bit when this came up. But it comes up in like, it seems like every other verse in the whole life of Joshua. Joshua experienced, loved, and possessed the presence of God in his life. Let me just, I'll say that again. Joshua experienced, loved, and possessed the presence of God in his life. Think about his early days. In his very early days, he's a child living in Egypt, he's a slave, his parents are slaves, they're being treated badly, and then God sends ten plagues on the people. And he very clearly is seeing the presence of God. I mean, there's hail, there's locusts, and then eventually they cross through a Red Sea with water on both sides of them. And Joshua, I'm sure, knew if he was five, six, seven, eight years old, yeah, God's here with us right now. And then, the next thing we really know about Joshua is that he's going up on a mountain on fire where God speaks to Moses for 40 days. I mean, the guy's like in God's presence in a very miraculous way that we can only hope to have this side of heaven. And then the next thing we see about Joshua, something I made a big deal out of earlier in this sermon, is that he didn't leave God's presence when Moses did. I mean, just let that sink in. I mean, Moses leaves... And there's Joshua loving and caring about and understanding the importance of the presence of God so strongly that he doesn't leave. I mean, that is like, that is like hanging out with Billy Graham. And Billy Graham's like, hey, I've prayed long enough. And you just keep praying. You're like, uh, yeah, I mean, sure, Billy. Have a nice coffee session, but I'm going to stay here with God because I love Him a lot. I mean, that's like a big deal to out-pray and out-experience the presence of God when it comes to the person of Moses. We see it in the promises when He takes over. God will be with you wherever you go. That's what Moses tells Him. And God says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because you're awesome? Because you have a great experience? No, because I will go with you. We see it in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, he's literally walking around with God's presence on the earth. And we see it in his interaction with the commander of the army of God. I mean, literally, he's having a conversation with with somebody that, that very well might be Jesus before Jesus was born on this planet. There is one main driving force in the life of Joshua that allows him to live a life that is right now cooler than all of yours probably as far as what you're doing for God. And that is that he loved and experienced and possessed the presence of God in his life. And the two things that I've stated about Joshua probably go hand in hand. He probably experienced the presence of God so strongly because he was just willing to do whatever God asked him. But here's what you need to know. If you want to do great things for God, if you want to do great things for God, then you need to zealously do what God commands you and you need to experience, love, and possess the presence of God in your life. All the way through the story. At the very uh, end of the story, Joshua 6, you can read it in the very last verse. It says, this is how you will know the Lord, your God, is among you. So, the truth is, right now, you can say, Well, I really want to do great things for God. I really want to accomplish something. I want to, I think that God might want me to do this or that or whatever it is. You're probably not going to do it if you haven't learned to be obedient to God and if you don't love and experience and possess the presence of God in your life. And, and here's the question that you'll probably have. How can I learn to love and experience the presence of God and possess it in my life? Isn't that the great question, I mean, because we don't have an ark of the covenant? I mean, wish we did. It would it would be great if like we had a box. If we could just put a box up here and say, "We know God's right there." That's and so I'm going to come and I'm going to hang out with it. Or or if we had a burning mountain, be cool. Had that once, I guess, in like the 70s or early 80s with Mount St. Helens, but different. Um, but but if we just had like a mountain on fire and we knew God's presence was there, that would be great. And so here, here's, how do you get God's presence in your life? I mean, how do you learn to love God's presence? Let me just give you six things that I think. First of all, just like Joshua, zealously do what God asks you to do. Truth is, God does not very readily come into the presence of those who are being disobedient to Him. If God's asked you to stop something and you no, said no, you're probably not going to experience God in any real and powerful ways in your life. You're probably going to look for Him and say, I just wish God would come back to me and I'd be closer to Him. But really, He's waiting for you to stop or to start or whatever it is He's asked you to do. And so you should write these down. The first thing you need to do if you want to experience God's presence and learn to love it and possess it in your life is you need to zealously do what God asks you to do. It's clear through all of Scripture. The second way is to pick up a Bible. See, we talk about the Bible being God's Word. I mean, you've heard that maybe. And we think that and we believe that as a church. And and, and hopefully, if you're a Christian, you believe that. But we don't treat it like that, do we? Like, man, I really wish God would talk to me. That would be awesome. Maybe I should read the Bible. Eh, Maybe he'll give me a sign. You know, like he's already written the letter to you. And if you want to experience God's presence, then you should probably go experience it through the word that he's already given you. And here's the really cool part about the Bible. It's not like if I wrote you a letter and I went away and I said, hey, good luck with that. But when you read the Bible and you do it consistently, the coolest thing happens. It's just awesome. What happens is that God starts to speak to you through it not audible normally but he really like you'll just start to see things that you never knew were there and and it comes alive in a very real way I'll tell you I don't like to even tell people this I some people like post what they're reading in the Bible online but it feels like I'm going to lose my reward it probably is true and maybe I'll lose some of it right now Uh, but it's worth it because I want to encourage you and here's the thing I, I wasn't a great Bible reader until like four or five years ago and I'm super consistent now I mean I'm I'm really good at the Bible. I read something that said, like, put it on your bucket list to read through the Bible before you're 40. And I'm like, I'm like way ahead of that. And and here's the cool part. It's just, it's almost magical, to be honest with you. It's just almost magical. As you become more consistent reading the Bible you like it better and you start to hear from God more in new ways. If you're like, hey, yeah, I read the Bible. I did it last month once and I did it next month once. then You probably don't like it that much when you do it. But if you just sit down and you read the Bible for like a year straight and you just read it, I'm not telling you you need to finish it in a year, whatever, go at your own pace. I have no magical formula to how much of the Bible to read. I just kind of go. It's awesome. And you start to get to a point where you're like, literally, hey, God, I need this today, because, because I need to hear from you, and you'll know, you'll be like in Zechariah, and you're like, this, this isn't even, like, what is happening, like, I didn't even know this book was in here, and it's, God's speaking to me, I mean, like, like, how did, How did this prophet know that I was trying to make this decision 4,000 years ago? This is awesome. And so, if you really want to just have the presence of God, then you have to pick up a Bible. That's what I'm saying. I mean, honestly, if I don't read the Bible, then I feel further and further away from God. And thankfully, He's brought me to a point where I don't, don't do that for very many days in a row, ever. And I'm thankful for that. You must go to church. You're here. Good job. So this is good for you. But if you want to experience the presence of God, this is the place to do it. I won't make my, my my favorite topic long this morning, but God is here in our presence in a unique way that He is not normally in our presence. That's the truth of it. And if you don't come to church consistently, then you are missing out on the, pre- on the presence of God. You just can't experience it in the same way that you can sitting at home. People say, well, I experience God out in nature. You might sense God out in nature. You might recognize God out in nature. Those are great things. But truthfully, you cannot have God's presence out in nature like you can when you gather with a group of believers. It's biblical. Read my blog. <laughs> Step number four, get away with the goal of meeting God. So I, I say come to church, but now I'm saying go out and try to look for God. And this is, this is a crazy thing that I've noticed. Every time you, you go off to like a Christian camp or you go to something that's going to be spiritual. You know what happens? You find God. You go to a Christian concert or a Christian conference, either one. And you show up there. And God meets you in like very awesome ways. Do you know why? I'm pretty sure God's not just there at your Christian concert or your Christian conference. You're looking for Him. You went there to experience the presence of God. And Hey, awesome! God wants to give you His presence. Most of the time, you're just not looking for it. You're busy. You got things to do. You got the TV on, and, and you got to see every single show. And you haven't seen that new movie yet. And you got things to do, and you're not looking. And then you go, and I mean, literally, like, if you have ever been to a Christian camp, you go and you're like, yeah, I really experienced God there. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> you stopped doing everything and you listened for a second. You don't need to go somewhere. You don't need me or this church to plan a Christian camp for you to do that. You can go outside and sit there for a few hours, and I bet you'll experience God's presence in a different way. Practice the presence of God. There's a great book called Practicing the Presence of God by a guy named Brother Lawrence who was a monk, and he really didn't like praying. And so he he would hate, like, the long praying sessions that monks are known for. And so what he started to do is practice the presence of God. And so no matter what he was doing or what he was uh, trying to accomplish, if he was cleaning the wine barrels, that's what he was famous for, then he would just remember that God was with him. He would interact with God. He'd say, God, help me to do this the best that I possibly can. Speak to me about how you want me to do this. And and he becomes famous for it and writes a book. But I did it for a while, and I'm not very good at it. And, And lo and behold, I experienced... Experienced God in new ways. Like, yeah, God, like you're here. I'd be better off if I did that while I'm on stage talking about God, probably. And so just, just remember that God is all-powerful and in some ways all-present. And so don't just go through life saying, eh, God's probably somewhere else, but really just seek out God and say, God, hey, I'm looking for you right now. Even though I'm sitting at a desk doing my work, I am looking for you. I need to experience you. And this is the other part, this is kind of a side one, but Joshua was so good at this. He made remembrances to God. He built these altars so that he could remember the work of God. And here's what you and I do, those who have kind of grown up in the church. If you haven't grown up in the church, you may have done it too. You may have these moments in life where you look back and you say, Yeah, I, I think I kind of experienced God once. But what Joshua does is he, he builds something so that he can never forget what God did in his life. I mean, think about the Ark of the Covenant for Joshua. Inside of it are the Ten Commandments. And I'm sure that every time or most of the time when Joshua is looking at that Ark and he's seeing this gold thing, he's thinking, I remember those 40 days that we spent up on the mountain with God. I remember it. And so if he asked me to walk around this wall, I'm going to do it because I saw how powerful and how awesome he was. And wouldn't you admit, if you've ever experienced God... Some of you experience God here in church and, and then you go away and you don't ever remember it. And you think, well, you just don't remember it. It never comes to mind again. And so here, here's my encouragement. this kind of a side to how you experience God. It is remember when you do experience God. And, and to be honest, there there are four times in my life when I've experienced God in ways that were miraculous and awesome. Several years after the first one, I'm like, I have to write this down. And it stays, I think it's on top of my dresser right now. I don't usually read them, but just by having the piece of paper, I go, yeah, I remember when God said that to me. I can't quit today. I can't quit moving forward because I have a job to do, and God made that job very clear to me. I remember it quite well. But when I don't look at things, when I don't have something in front of me or to remind me, then I forget. I don't think about it. try to forget. And so here's, here's my encouragement for you. I'll read these one more time, and then I'll close. Zealously do what God asks. Pick up a Bible. Hopefully open a Bible and read a Bible. Go to church. Get away with the goal of meeting God. Practice the presence of God. And then when you do meet with God, make a remembrance. Make a remembrance. You can't do it. There's nothing good will happen. I just need you to hear this. My best sermons are by far my worst sermons. Here's the thing that I've noticed. When I'm like... I don't really know how to preach this passage. I don't really feel comfortable. I don't remember what I was supposed to say. And I'm like, God, please use this. Then, like, awesome things happen. It's this really weird phenomenon. When we get to a place where, like, God, I, I, I can't. I can't do whatever you're asking me to do. Please just be here and do something. Then, like, God does something. And what I, what I want you to hear just so clearly... It's so important. It's a part of the prayer every single week for this church when we're planning. The main part of the prayer is, is, God, we need you to be there. And, And I'm telling you that what you need, if you're ever going to accomplish anything good for God, is you need God to be near to you. And you need to remember that he's near to you. And when he speaks to you in a special way, you need to not forget those moments. That is what, honestly, I believe that each and every one of you are on this planet to change this planet for the better, for the kingdom of God. I really believe that with all my heart. And this series is just coming out of that because I want you to do something better than you're already doing. But it won't happen until you learn to love and be in the presence of God and you have His presence in a new and powerful way. And so please, this is what I'm asking, please seek it and then remember it. That's what I'm asking from you. You can even get a rock. I'm actually planning on getting a rock, um, some rocks and, and and writing just from the sermon and my preparation, writing uh, on it, these these kind of moments with just single words. And I, I think one thing we'll do with this church is we'll just get some rocks maybe here um, and, and we'll just have some rocks so that when God speaks to your heart at church, you can take a rock with you and write a single word on it to remember you in the future. And that's come out of this. But but I just really want you, because I know some of you just, like I people come up to me crying after some of my sermons. And then they probably by Tuesday don't remember what God had said to them. And we don't want that from you. And I'm only babbling because I want that from you. And now I'm going to pray because I want it from you. Lord, thank you for this time. And and, um, I thank you for the person of Joshua, God. And Lord, I think the biggest problem we have just in, in American Christianity is that we don't care about Having you in our lives, Lord. And, Lord, we want you in our lives. Um, We need you in our lives. And, God, I know that whether people recognize it that are sitting in front of me or not, they need you in their lives. Lord, I think you want me to just... I think you had a plan for this morning. And you know that I don't usually babble and I'm... uh, but God, I think you want people to hear it. And Lord, even even you know, with our denominational history, God, sometimes, um, it, it leads to us being more business-oriented. And just kind of who we are as a culture leads to us saying, like, well, I, I'll just take the right steps and I'll accomplish things. And God, we can accomplish a lot of awesome things without you. But we can't accomplish the spiritual and the miraculous until you are doing a mighty work in our lives. And God, so I know, I know, I believe, I know that there are people, God, who are sitting in front of me and have been for this sermon series or just this morning and they absolutely can hear you saying, this is what I want you to do. And Lord, they're trying to ignore it. And they're thinking, maybe... With the sermon series is done this week, and they're just trying to just to get through it, and, and thinking oh, we'll just get to Christmas, and and Chad will talk about something else, and then I don't need to think about anymore this this thing that I've been I've been called to. But Lord, just take away all the excuses, God, all the reasons this morning, and and just I pray you'd whisper in the ear of our people, be strong and courageous because I am with you. I pray that you would just just come into our lives in a new and unique way Lord and we're gonna we're gonna sing some more songs and we're going to take this communion and as, as we go through these last kind of things in our service I pray that you would meet us Lord and God what we need as a church is you. Lord I want just to see you here more I want to feel you here more. Lord, I'll be honest. I don't want the denominations that we look at as crazy to be the only denominations that are talking about and sensing and feeling and experiencing Your presence, Lord. I want us to experience it. I want our people to experience it. And I, I just... We need You. Lord, I think that at this church, You've called us to some really great things. And I think almost every person who sits here weekly and gathers and, and together as a church family, believes that you're going to do something incredible through this congregation. But Lord, we admit right now that we're not going to do it unless you do it. Lord, it's just our job to walk around the walls and yell every now and then or something. It's your job to accomplish the great stuff. And so whatever the excuses, whatever the reasons are people have, just tear them down right now like those walls, God... Just let them know that you are with them. Let them be listening and seeking you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.